All right, if you have your Bibles, be finding 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 5 and 2 Kings comes right after 1 Kings. That makes sense. 2 Kings chapter 5 verse 1. We read this one verse to begin. 2 Kings 5.1 And Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor but he was a leper. Oh, man. Naaman was a commander of the army of Syria. Syria was the leading military power of the day. Syria is the only nation in the Old Testament that stopped Assyria from becoming world, a world empire. He had favor with the king because of his leadership. He was a mighty man of valor, courageous. Personality was just a natural born leader. He had everything going for him. Friends in high places, popularity, success, top general of the leading army. Just one thing wrong. He was a leper. It seemed uh, leprosy was incurable. Leprosy is contagious. Leprosy is something that ruins everything. I've noticed some of this in the Bible and in life where you have everything but then there's one thing that ruins it all. Abraham was a great man with a beautiful wife. And he lived in Ur of the Chaldees, which was an abundant and picturesque place in Mesopotamian area. And he just had one problem. They were barren. They couldn't have children. And his name, Abram, or Abraham, meant father of many. And he had none. That was the one thing they wanted. Paul was a great apostle with great visions, caught up to the third heaven, 2 Corinthians 12. He had everything that you would want as an apostle. Just one problem. He had a thorn in the flesh that buffeted him. He had people with everything. But then there's something that overshadows it all, brings a pall over the whole thing. Chad Bird, one of my favorite authors, he always wanted to teach in a seminary and become an author 
conference speaker, and finally did. He, he achieved his dreams. He'd become everything he wanted to be. And his wife left him, took the two children, moved to Texas, left him in Indiana. He had everything. His wife left him. Naaman had everything, but he's a leper. It's like, what's the point now? So I want to speak a few minutes on that one thing that ruins everything. And here's a little in verse 2 and 3, we find the story continues when it says that the Syrians had carried off a little girl, a Jewish girl from the land of Israel. They had defeated Israel. And so they had brought some captives back and this little girl, unnamed, was, the, was a servant in the household of Naaman the leper. And in an off-the-cuff remark, said to Naaman's wife in verse 3, I wish my Lord Naaman were, was with the prophet in Samaria, that's Elisha, he'd cure him of his leprosy. This little Jewish girl knew about God and God's prophet and, and that there's, God can do anything. Well, that was unheard of especially in the pagan land of Syria. So Naaman went, verse 4, and told the king and said, there, I have heard there's a, there's a prophet in the land of Israel, Samaria, which is capital of the north Israel, that he can cure leprosy. And so the king said, this is in verse 4 to 7, the king the king said, I'll send him a letter. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel and let him know you're coming down there to see the prophet Elisha so they can be ready. The king of Israel thought he's up to something. The king of Israel said, I, don't, I can't cure leprosy. What is he coming here for? And it says in verse 8, beginning in verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes in despair, he sent to the king and said, Why have you torn your clothes? Let, him, let this man come to me now, that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. And so Naaman gathers up his entourage, horses and chariots, and all the retinue of dignified and important people and they make their way to the prophet's house and then this is in verse 10 2 Kings 5 10 uh, he's at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha verse 10 uh, just sent a messenger out to him he didn't even go out he sent a messenger out to him and said told him, Naaman, go wash in the river of Jordan and dip seven times and you'll be healed. 
Well, Naaman was angry at that, verse 11, and said, I, I thought he would come out and make all these gestures and make his incantations and, and uh, pronounce me clean, and it would be very simple. But he's saying, go wash seven times in the Jordan. What is that? I got rivers up in Syria I can dip in. See, he was humbling him. He didn't even go out to see him. He's hum because pride is worse than leprosy. And in, in verse 10, this idea of dipping in the Jordan, go and wash in the Jordan. Is that like a baptism? Was he saying, go get baptized? I think this is a kind of Old Testament baptism here. And I say it for two reasons. Uh, one is, when they put the Hebrew Old Testament, Old Testament written in Hebrew, when they put it over into Greek, he uses the word in verse 10, go and wash, that's the Greek word luo. And it's used in Acts twenty-two sixteen for being baptized. Rise and be baptized, Paul said, and wash away, luo, wash away your sins, calling on his name. This is what the same vocabulary and terminology is used in the New Testament for baptism. Another thing I, I think connects it to baptism is that in the Jordan River in the New Testament is always connected to baptism. That's where John the Baptist went to do his baptizing. And that's where Jesus went to be baptized. So when he sends Naaman the leper down to the Jordan, he's basically saying, I want you to get baptized. Well, what is that going to, what good is that going to do me? See, the, the pagans look, or the world looks at baptism as simply a ritual. But it's a humbling act that brings healing. There are three views of baptism. On the one side is the salvific view. They call it salvific. It means it saves. Now, I don't, I don't believe that. I think faith in Christ saves Christ alone. On the other hand is a typical Baptist view which says it's mere sim symbolism. It's only a symbol. I don't believe that either. This is not a symbol here in 2 Kings 5. Uh, there's a middle view called sacramentalism or baptism as a sacrament. That is, when you get baptized, there's an actual infusion of grace and mercy to you that you did not have on that side of the baptismal waters. I'll give you another couple of verses on this. Um, Mark 16, 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now he didn't say he that believes and is perfect shall be saved. Praise God for that. But in humility, we may not be able to be perfect but we can get baptized. 
And in Matthew 3, 16, when Jesus at the Jordan River was baptized, he came up from the water and the, and I, I, that doesn't mean he walked up out of the water, but it means when he was immersed and he came up from the water, it says the heavens were open to him and the spirit descended upon him, the spirit of God like a dove and rested upon him. The spirit came at his baptism. I was talking to Elizabeth about this and she reminded me when she was baptized, um, what, how old was you, nine? Five? Okay, that's close, within four years. <laughs> but even at that age, she said, I remember, and I, I had never, I don't remember this, but yesterday she said, I remember coming up out of the water and feeling light. The burden was lifted. That's sacramental. Now, Naaman did not like this instruction because it humbled him so. But verse 13, the, his servants urged him to go ahead. You're, you're in Israel. If he had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. So you're here, you might as well do it. And by the way, the difference in Old Testament and New Testament baptism is in the Old Testament baptism, they baptized themselves. Jews in synagogues to this day have baptistries. Uh, they don't call it a baptistry. I forget the term they use, but it's basically a baptistry. And it's ceremonial cleansing where you wash and, but the difference is in the Old Testament and in Jews today, they baptize themselves. No one baptizes. In the New Testament baptism, John does a new thing, John the Baptist. He baptizes. And the difference is, difference is in Old Covenant and New Covenant. In the Old Covenant, you keep the law. In the New Covenant, God puts his law in your heart. He writes it in your heart. It's a unilateral infusion of grace and mercy and strength and divine energy inside of you. That's the difference in the two baptisms. That's why the officiant at baptism bring, takes you down and he brings you up. He represents God because you are dead in trespasses and sins. So you need God to raise you up. You need an exertion of the omnipotence of Almighty God in order to be a Christian. So he did it, 2 Kings 5.14. He went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Now, with the time I have left, I want to point out three things. On this thing of, I've got everything. I have so much. Everything's going well, but there's this one thing that ruins it all. If that's your testimony, if that's your feeling this morning, I, I want to give you three points. 
One is this. There is a purpose in our pain. I want you to look at uh, 2 Kings 5, starting in verse 15. See if you can see what happens. What's the purpose that God had for this Naaman the leper? Verse 15, after he's been healed now, he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him and said, Behold, I now know there's no God in all the earth but in Israel. He's come to the knowledge of the true God. And he says, so let me give you a present. Let me give a gift to you as his servant. And and Elisha, wanting to... This is a foreshadowing of New Testament grace to a Gentile. And so wanting to keep that a pure picture of what God does for us, that it's free and gracious and not earned or purchased or merited, he said, <clears throat> Elisha says, I'm not taking any offering. I'm not, I'm not going to let you pay me for what God did for you. Because he wanted to protect the concept of grace, free mercy to this Gentile uh, general. <clears throat> But now look at it in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 16. He says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. He urged him, but he wouldn't take it. Verse 17. Then Naaman said, all right, then please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. What's he saying here? This is Naaman. He says, okay, if you're not going to take it. But I would like to ask you this. Let me get two sacks of dirt from the land of Israel, load them on some mules, and I'll take them back with me to Syria... And that way, because he says, I'm not going to worship any God but the Lord, verse 17. He says, the idea is he's going to put that dirt, I don't know, in his backyard or somewhere. But he says, I'm going to be kneeling on on the holy land and worshiping the God of Israel. He recognizes the land of Israel... Now, this is Old Covenant, you understand. He says, and, and what it's a picture of, it's, it's like this uh, foreshadowing of the fact that he's a Gentile, but the land of Israel is going to be, in the New Testament, under Christ, extended in all the earth into pagan territory. We are today doing the same thing Naaman did. We are, we are kneeling on holy ground. And so he says, I want to be kneeling on holy ground even in Syria. So I'm going to take part of the Holy Land back with me. I'm going to make pagan Gentile territory the Holy Land of Israel. And that's what Jesus has done to us who are pagan Gentiles. He has made us the equivalent of God's holy people. 
And our worship is the same worship accepted in the Old Covenant as if Moses drew up the tabernacle all over again. Now what's the purpose in our pain? If it hadn't been for his leprosy, he would have never known the true God. The purpose is knowing God. Your your pain will teach you much more than your comforts will. It will bring you to know Him. Uh, What did Paul do in 2 Corinthians 12 about the thorn? It says he prayed three times. If it makes you pray, it can't be all that bad. (laughs) Here's the second thing that I want to point out. Not only there's purpose in our pain, but second... I want you to see there's power in our witness. Here's this little girl. She's probably a teenager. And with her witness, she rocks the pagan nations. She brings, she shakes the throne of kings because they were worried about whether there's going to be another war or not. And she brings grace and mercy of God to the Gentile nation of Syria. Through Naaman, the top man. He's not going to be quiet about it. Think of this. A young teenager. She could have been pouting about having to be in Syria as a servant. But instead she took the opportunity to tell about the God and his prophet who's in Israel. And and I want to urge all our teenagers, use and give to God Almighty the vigor and energy of your youth. You have no idea what God can do with you as a teenager. Give him the the vibrancy and the personality and the beauty of your youth. Give that to God. See what he will do with that. Understand that it's God doesn't just use old people. He doesn't just use handsome men like me. No, I'm I'm thankful that he does use the old and the ugly. He also uses the young and the beautiful. Like David, you may be a teenager, but you can throw a stone at Goliath and God will get behind it and give great victory to his people. Let God use you. Say, God, use me for your glory and your honor and your name. One final point. Not only a purpose in our pain and a power in our witness, but a privilege is laid out here in our blessings. A privilege in our blessings. I'll tell you where I get this point. Naaman is mentioned in the New Testament. 
by no one less than the person of Christ. And by in no other circumstance than the first sermon he preached in his hometown, Nazareth. And he goes to Nazareth where he was brought up and they're expecting him. They've heard about him. They're expecting him to do great miracles. And he goes in and he preaches and at first they love what he's saying about that he's the days of Messiah are fulfilled now. And, <clears throat> and then he says this. But he says, I tell you, Luke 4, 25, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months and a great famine was over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them. But Zarephath to a woman who was a widow in the land of Sidon. It's like, wait, what? Here's these Jews sitting there thinking, ah, very good words. And then he says, however, because the Jews were under judgment in Elijah's day, God didn't, there were many widows in Israel, but God skipped all of them and went to a widow in the land of Sidon. And then he gives another illustration. Luke 4.27 And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha but none of them was cleansed. Only Naaman the Syrian none of them was cleansed. God walked by all the lepers there were many lepers in Israel Jesus said and God didn't cleanse any of them or heal any of them. He walked out of Israel over to the Gentile pagan Naaman, the idolater, and gave him the blessing. And and with that, the people got so mad, it says they were filled with wrath, wrath, and they rushed up to got hold of Jesus, took him up to a cliff to throw him over, and supernaturally he just turned and walked through the midst of them and escaped. Now the point here is Naaman is a marvelous exception. We, like Naaman, Gentiles, not in Israel, and God has bypassed Israel, and right here in Michigan, we have come to know the true God. What a privilege of this blessing. What a privilege. We should be shouting and dancing and singing and getting loud and getting real because our hope is sure. Yes, we experience death, but there's a resurrection for us. And yes, we experience shortages and famine and poverty, but there's a promised provision for us. We have a Father in heaven that doesn't let a sparrow fall. Do you think you're less worth than that sparrow. He will take care of you. He will answer your prayers. He will be your God and you will be his people. That's a privilege. That's a blessing. So God gives that to us. Like Naaman the Syrian. Have you considered the mystery of his election? See, the Jews didn't have a problem with 
election. God chose them. Yes, we are God's chosen people. They had a problem with God also choosing Gentiles. And when Jesus brought it up, they tried to kill him. Well, I'm bringing it up to you and saying you should rejoice at the joyful privilege you have of knowing the true God. Because someone, some little witness, somewhere told you there's a God in Israel and there's a message and a gospel and you can be baptized and you can, know, you can be cleansed and you can be a little child before Him. And that's the message that God gives to us through Naaman. Next Sunday morning, I want us to come together as the psalmist prayed, save us, O God, and gather us that we may praise your name. Let the Naamans of this church rejoice and come together. Bring your families, bring your friends, and let's celebrate the goodness of God next Sunday morning. What a day I believe that will be. Free Thanksgiving meal laid out for you from the ben, uh, beneficence, that's the word I'm looking for, the beneficence of the Almighty. Uh, ushers, you come and let's uh, uh, worship in our offerings today. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story of Naaman and your grace and power to him and help us to see ourselves in this story and to know that you are calling us to yourself. Uh, much like you arranged Naaman's life and brought him to yourself, we thank you that you have done the same for us. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we sing this last one.